Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 67, which begins with Eric continuing to spin the tale of doctor and physicist Donald Blake and ends with Thor admitting he was wrong. Very important moment. Joining us in the show today, once again, we have Brian Lockhart, host of the Marine Corps Movie Minute and co-host of the Marvel Events Timeline Podcast. Um, we heard about the Marine Movie Minute. What's the um, Marvel Events Timeline? Kind of talk about what's been your interest in Marvel itself. Well, I've been a I've been a comic guy since since I, since I was a kid. I was always um, into you know Superman, Spider Man. I watched all the the multimedia stuff as a kid, and then I got into comics big time by the time I was in uh, probably middle school. So um, uh, that passion has has you know waned on and off throughout the you know ebbed and flow throughout the years. But um, uh, I recently through the the Marvel. Um, unlimited app. I really got into kind of going back and reading some of the comics and uh, fellow movies by minutes podcaster Travis Bow. He he's been was actually doing the same thing, and we we started having discussions, and we said, hey, you know, let's uh let's start looking at some you know something we could do, and uh, it was you know kind of Travis's genesis of saying, hey, let's let's look at some of the bigger events, you know, let's not mm. just you know, and so we decided let's start at the very very beginning. A lot a lot of people say. Fantastic Four, uh, the coming of Galactus was like the first major event for for Marvel, but we were like, let's go, let's go a little deeper and uh, start at the very beginning uh, with Timely Comics and Marvel Comics number one, um, and you know, Human Torch and, and Submariner, which really, as we learned, kicks off the entire concept of a crossover and shared universe. So we uh, we're starting from the very beginning in the '30s and we're going through Marvel. Awesome. Awesome. Well, definitely something worth checking out. We'll get to hear more about your thoughts on the comic book and cinematic presentation of Thor just after this. Are you interested in chatting with like-minded Marvel fans over on Facebook? Well, join our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge. Just go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on the link for the social of your choice. All right, so we once again start off with Eric talking to Coulson, and now he's found out that Coulson doesn't quite believe the idea of being a doctor, and so he's changing gears a bit. What are we getting from some salvage here? Because I think this is the first moment we're seeing him outside of being the protective person with Jane and with Darcy. What what do you see in in Selvig here or Selvage? <laughs> I, I the the way that he's pivoting here is great like right at the start of the minute like he's he's a quick thinker he's not a great liar uh which makes makes it all the more funny but he just keeps spinning it and that when he hits he's a wonderful man he's a man in pain like wow he is really pushing this trying to kind of convince colson like this is just a hurt man he just doesn't know what he's doing I laugh. Uh, like, Stellan Skarsgård is not often somebody you think of with comedy, uh, you know, like Natalie Portman, I guess, to that extent. But I, he's just like the way that he's playing this is just just so funny. I, I think that he works really well in this part. Yeah, I, I like the fact that he he knows he's kind of caught in a lie of the MD versus physicist and how like unrealistic it means that he pivoted from a, a medical doctor to a brilliant physicist, but he's like, he's brilliant. <laughs> and, and, and he, and he completely goes on to 
his human suffering and kind of gets good. Let's not focus on, you know, the semantics of what it is. He's a man in pain. Can't you feel for him? You know, (laughs) and he wouldn't have normally done this. if It wasn't for, you know, being distraught, (laughs) which which I do love because, you know, in the kind of like, you know, a broken clock is right at least twice a day. Selvig's the one person who probably has no idea of like the actual pain that Thor is going through that Coulson witnessed. You know, he knows that Thor is upset. Maybe Jane said that like she heard this like wail of suffering and, and frustration. But Jane didn't see like what happened with Thor and the hammer and certainly Selvig didn't see it. So I kind of love and I, I kind of. I, I, I again think that Coulson is not convinced in the slightest, but I do think it's kind of funny that like the the thing that he really says, he has no way of knowing, but it's actually very, very true just for reasons Selvig has no idea about. And Coulson's reaction is is just perfect. It's so mm-hmm. subtle. Uh, just like he just there's the smallest of smirks that he kind of gives to Eric, you know, which which I I don't know. I think that's perfect. And, and the script had a lot more of their conversation kind of continuing. And you just don't need it. Like, just show that little smirk and then just move on. It just it works so well. And again, you know, I just I love watching Colson. He's just always, always a delight. I think this is Colson's best role, I think, um, as far as uh he was, you know, he was good in Iron Man. Uh, Iron Man 2, uh, it was fine. He was a little kind of um, antagonistic, I think, with with uh, Stark a little bit. You know, we have a line in this movie later that kind of uh, hints at that. <laughs> but I think in, in this, he's, he's, per- he's the perfect bit of serious S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And he's, he's very competent in his job. You could see why Fury sent him, you know, for this particular job. It's a very important job. But also, you know, he, he has a little bit that, 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 like you said, those little looks, these little smirks, these little like, I am not buying this, but I'm going to let this play out. And it's it's subtle and it's it's really good. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. We talked earlier uh, in the episodes uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago now about how this movie is kind of a transition for S.H.I.E.L.D. and that we've seen them be powerful. But at least in Tony's eyes, they were always kind of keystone cops, you know, and here I feel like you're really starting to understand that, you know, Coulson is a very, very fuzzy, soft velvet glove, but there's a lot of steel in the fist that is underneath that, you know, that they they have a lot of power. They have a lot of knowledge. They're not able to just get led around by the nose by someone like like Selvig, which you might have thought in after the first Iron Man, uh, those two Iron Man movies. Well, and it's interesting that, like, I mean, as we learned this was originally written to be Nick Fury throughout the throughout the film, and it was just because Samuel L. Jackson wasn't available to be in it that they they pivoted and and had oh, right. Coulson play the role instead. But I, I find that it works so well for Coulson, and it gives Coulson the gravitas that he kind of needed at at some point as this character. And I think that really set him up for kind of like moving forward. And I'm I'm glad that it ended up being him, and it gave us more of kind of the Coulson that that uh, that I had wanted up to that point. Yeah, I, I think that's a better choice. Nick Fury being here wouldn't make a lot of sense. Nick Fury is the guy that sends somebody like Coulson to go do this type of job. He's, you know, it's kind of like if, if nobody's looking at the bigger picture, you know, if you're just looking at the minutia, who's looking at the bigger picture? Well, Fury is the guy looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. Coulson's the guy who goes and sends out and does stuff as as, as well as other yeah. uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. <laughs> yeah, I think you need Coulson because I think 
I try not to use too much Harry Potter metaphors anymore, given the um uh the direction the author has gone. But I I think that like to me, when I look at Coulson and and Fury, Fury is Slytherin, Coulson is Gryffindor. You know, Coulson like to me something that makes those scenes with. Where, to be honest, the the shield agents are acting like jackbooted thugs, and they're just taking all the materials from Jane's laboratory and all that. Coulson so clearly believes it when he says, "No, we're the good guys. We're on your side." I don't think Fury can pull that off. You know, Fury is always going to come across as I'm Machiavellian. I'm looking, and and that's great for him. But yeah, I, I think being Coulson is so much stronger here because he clearly does believe he's trying, and I think. I think this is also him kind of recognizing, like, Selvig isn't our enemy either. Selvig is messing around with things he doesn't understand, and so I want to watch him, but he doesn't see Selvig as a threat. Uh, he just sees Selvig as kind of an idiot who he's going to use to to get more access, which I guess is why, Andy, you pointed this out. He lets Selvig walk right into their command center with all the sensitive stuff everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Where was the thinking there? That was that was such a strange thing to see that i mean i i love the way that selvig comes in oh donnie 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 there you are like the way he's again just delivering his lines it's just so perfect but yeah he had to walk through the command center to get <laughs> to the holding cell and it's like there's all sorts of information on the screens that i can't imagine they want him seeing there's papers lying about uh, why did they not just get Thor and bring him out instead of letting Selvig come in to bring to to uh, potentially see stuff that is classified? So a, a strange little thing there, I guess. When I was in the Marine Corps, I definitely worked in some secure facilities and you were supposed to sanitize if somebody who is unauthorized comes in, you know, you, and they have to be escorted, which which um, uh, Selvig was definitely escorted. Sure. But. I also did see people not do what they were supposed to do. <laughs> so, oh. I mean, it's, it's very true to real life. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, somebody messed up. <laughs> Good to, I, I, I like that you, that they use the word sanitize, which I assume just means like, make sure things are off the screens that aren't. Yep. Uh, yeah. All, right. all that yeah. papers put away and then screens turned off and you just, you can come in the building. You just can't see what's going on. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's supposed to turn, which as we see is not happening since, uh, Thor notices that Jane's journal is just sitting out uh, and he's able to <laughs> nick it. I think is what happens there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so curious about that, especially because like, I mean, it's, it's outside. There's a pop-up tent kind of covering up tables that are just full of all the stuff that they took from her lab. There's also an agent who's working behind the table and like facing them. And when Thor grabs the journal, you actually can see this agent's hands like on the table as if he's also doing something. I'm like, is he like he's right there? And we cut to the next shot. He's like practically staring at them. Like, did he not see Thor take this journal? It's like it's such a strange bit of staging. It's like, why would they put that person there? Because it makes it feel like he would have seen this. I don't know. It, it It's one of those things where, like, when you look at it too much, it's like, eh, maybe they shouldn't have dropped that extra right there. I have a theory, but Brian, what do you think on this? Well, I was just going to say, I think he he just had tunnel vision. He was just super into his job. And he was. <laughs> but, 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 but the one thing that actually stood out to me about that whole situation was this journal is it's a paper journal. It's a book. And it's just out in the open. It was just pouring rain. <laughs> a few minutes ago, like <laughs> they, they right. didn't try to protect it. They didn't put it inside. <laughs> it could have gotten soaked, all that paperwork. The, the in the rain point is definitely true. 
I think, though, because especially the other question that comes up is why, if Coulson clearly doesn't believe this, why is he letting him walk away? And I think, as we've said, and we will find out later, even in this minute itself, is that it's because Coulson wants to, you know, it's kind of like, let the let the Millennium Falcon fly away so we can follow them to the rebel base. Uh, here, it's a little bit less uh, uh, intimidating like that. But I, S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, is established. They're very happy to let other people do the science for them and then kind of swoop in. And I, I think it's intentional. I think that that the extra is there to show that clearly they could stop this. They know this is happening. They want Jane to get the journal back because they want Jane and Selvig and Thor to continue this research. Because they're like, well, we're S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. They're going to be able to research it better than we can. But then we can go back and, and take all our stuff again once they figure out the stuff that we haven't figured out yet either. That's definitely an interesting um, kind of way of approaching it. And that, I, you know, I, I like that line of thinking because it does kind of lead to the fact that, uh, well, especially the way that the next line plays, you know, because that's such a, a joke. When as soon as Thor does that, you have Coulson saying, Dr. Selvig, as if you know, we just busted you come back, but that's not right. actually what he says. He says, just keep away from the bars. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it very likely is because I mean, yeah, Coulson is also standing right behind them, watching them walk away. So it's entirely possible that he also saw Thor take this journal. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think your point is probably very, uh, very valid and kind of the likely solution here. Uh, and yeah, and then there is that great line of, you know, don't take him to the bars. Of course, I won't. Where are we going to get a drink? Um, <laughs> which is interesting then because in the, you know, the movie Eternals just came out and there's been quite an uproar over the fact that there are two adults doing things that adults do when they have strong feelings about each other uh, in a very, you know, PG-13 kind of way. It's not uh, very explicit by any means. But it's literally only the second sex scene that's ever happened in an MCU movie. Uh, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because we are now in a bar that is, for all intents and purposes in the movie, a bar. But I thought it was interesting because it's actually being shot in a strip club. And like, <laughs> right. generally, you think a movie is going to try everything they can do to get a strip club scene into the movie. That was certainly the, like, TNA of the 80s and 90s of the movies that I grew up with. I don't remember a movie where they shoot in a strip club but try to make it not look like a strip club. Like, that's a decision that I'm not quite sure is what's well, happening here. It probably happens a lot more than you realize, honestly. Mm. Uh, I, I think in the world of location shooting, it's probably just like, you know, who's closed during the hours that we need to film? Oh, and, it, and it's easy to just, you know, it, it looks enough like a bar. We can stage it. We can do what we want. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of that. Uh, in this. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think that there probably are a lot of bar scenes that you've seen throughout movies and TV shows that happen in strip clubs that you just don't even realize were filmed in a strip club because, you know, they don't have the, the same hours. And so it made it easier for them to to shoot this one here. Uh, but yeah, this is a strip club called Cheeks in uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, Cheeks. Uh, now, if you look um, on Google Maps, it says Cheeks Sports Bar and Grill. But you look it up online, it still looks like a topless bar. Um, so it uh, it definitely kind of, uh, you know, is just one of these places that just is uh, is right there um, in downtown Santa Fe. And my guess is because this wasn't uh, something that, I mean, this sort of thing is something they could have very easily filmed back when they were in L.A. on one mm -hmm. of the on the one of the sound stages in some bar set that's already been made. My guess is that they probably had this as often they'll do like a, as, as kind of a backup location that they can 
just grab like if if they're intended to be filming some exteriors and it happens to be raining they can very easily just change the schedule and go okay well we're going to flip-flop the schedule we're going to shoot this bar scene today because it's interiors and we don't have to worry about the rain and we'll come back into that rain scene another oh, day yeah i never think that but yeah that makes total sense right yep one of those things all my theories about the Purian MCU uh, being uh, shut down by actual movie-making realities. But, you know, there we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so a, a Foo Fighters song is playing, Walk, which I'm glad to have someone point out because I'm an old, old man who has no idea what the Foo Fighters music is. Uh, I know that they are the former Nirvana, uh, but that's all I know about them. Um, but, yeah, is there significance to that song specifically, Andy? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's the song. I mean, it's the song "Walk." The music video is very interesting because it's very much a spin on on the on Joel Schumacher's movie "Falling Down." Um, oh, Michael Douglas. Uh, yeah, Michael Douglas. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> from scene to scene, like you know, he starts in traffic, he gets out, and he frustratedly walks, and, he, and it's like goes to the fast food place, like over and over. It's like that stuff, which is odd mm-hmm. because that movie was like a full decade beforehand. So I'm not exactly sure why. But what I love about the lyrics is learning to walk again, and I just can't help but feel like there's something about that about Thor in this particular point where he's like been broken in so many ways, and yeah, he really is now having to learn to walk again uh, metaphorically and, and figure out his new place now that he's here on Midgard so well not, not only on Midgard but he's immortal now like, right so yeah. he's he's literally learning a whole new life <laughs> so yeah. yeah it makes sense it makes sense yeah and especially because so much of this movie till now it's not that he just became that it's that he spent this whole movie denying that you know thinking he could fight his way out of the hospital and not understanding why the taser worked and then the shot worked and all that stuff so and also thinking as soon as he touches Molyneux, everything's going to be back to normal. And he learned that that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Or, or meow, way. meow. Yeah. Meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> the technical name for it. <laughs> but it is interesting. And I, I, I think we're going to talk more about it in the next minute tomorrow. But I, I like that we're starting to see we're starting to see finally some of Thor's interiority. You know, we've talked about how. There's been this powerful reactions, but we actually haven't heard him like literally express in words what he's feeling. And now we're starting to get that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's we come in on Thor in like mid conversation. You know, I had it all backwards. I had it all wrong. It's an interesting place for us to kind of start on this conversation because, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I we'll certainly talk more about this uh, next time uh, or in the next minute because there's a lot more that the conversation takes us on. But it's like it's very internally focused, as you said. Like he's really looking in in at what's going on and, and his way of thinking and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm really curious. I mean, I guess we can save a lot of that exploration uh, for tomorrow's minute because there's, a, a you know, another whole minute of just a, a conversation in a location, which is always fun when we get these. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, any other comments then about this minute? I think his hair looks really awful here in the bar. <laughs> this is like wig, uh, you know, grade uh, D at this point. It just it's it's just bad. Just not good. It's just from it's from the rain again. It's you know <laughs> his his hair is messed up. He just slicked it back, and you know we we have to, we can forgive him. Yeah, yeah, easy to forgive. 
Um, my only other thing is this is uh, there are a lot of people in this bar, which presumably is in Puente Antiguo. They're back in town. This is another frustrating location. There are three people who have uh, added themselves as uncredited extras here in the bar. I can't identify any of them. And so who knows? There's just a lot of New Mexico based uh, extras who are mm-hmm. in this particular location. Well, and I have one more question on the kind of movie making idea of it. One thing we do see is that there's a Bud Light sign over the the pool table. And with something like that, on the one hand, like it feels like it's product placement. And I know there's kind of like specific rules about things. I also know that like if they're shooting in an actual bar, that actual bar quite likely had a Bud Light sign there already. So how does that work in terms of does that mean it is definitely product placement and intentional or is it sometimes you just can't cover up the advertising that's already there in the location? What What's kind of the story there? Um, you know, you would you would be required to cover it up. Uh, it's called, uh, you know, what they would do is called greeking, greeking it out or, or they would actually just put something else in that isn't branded. Right. Or or Greek it out, which is just kind of putting stuff on it so you can't tell that it says Bud Light. Since it says Bud Light and we see it, what they likely did is they likely reached out to Budweiser and said, we're making this movie, you know, and it's not always product placement. Oftentimes when you see these names, it's them having asked if we can have permission to just leave this in there. And then the Budweiser people saying, yeah, sure. You know, it's it's Mm -hmm. it's, you know, good marketing for us. And um, it's paperwork is really what it boils down to is is people had to get paperwork signed in order for that to be there whether it's product placement or just you know them giving permission to be to to not have to take it down right uh all right well thank you so much this has been a great minute as always um brian we've been talking about uh you know all the stuff you do for folks who want to now find more about the timeline project you're doing oh where can the folks find that well, it's a Marvel Events Timeline podcast, and we're just the Marvel Events podcast on um, uh, Twitter and um, Instagram. And then you can find us, you know, you can find us there. And so between that and the Marine one, are you kind of doing one for a couple months and the other or episodes of both of them coming out at the same time? How is that working? Well, unfortunately, uh, the Marine Corps Movie Minute is mostly on hiatus right now. I was, uh, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm in uh, pre-production, let's just say, for Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it, it will come eventually, uh, but the Marvel Events timeline will be based on. So far, we're doing about one a month, uh, just because of how much research that has to go into it. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for being a part of these. Uh, Andy, as always, thank you, and to our fans, you're what makes this possible. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Yeah.